This is America on the Road, winner of the International Automotive Media Conference Gold Medal Award for Radio, and now in its 25th year on the air. Thanks for being with us as we bring you the latest automotive information from around the world. An American car maker is teamed with an insurance information provider. Should you be concerned? We'll give you the details next. And the shortage of microchips that is sending vehicle prices much higher could last longer than originally thought. We'll have the details on that, too. America on the Road is brought to you by Mercury Insurance and DrivingToday.com. If you're looking to save some money, you should switch to Mercury for your auto and home insurance. Californians save an average of $670 with Mercury, so imagine how much you could save. Get a quote today at MercuryInsurance.com. Hi, I'm Jack Nerad. With me is co-host Chris Teague. This is a special episode of America on the Road because it is our first to be carried on the SportsMap radio network. We welcome all the listeners joining us for the first time, and we hope you make it a weekly habit just like we do. Uh, it's probably valuable to tell you a little bit about us to get things going. So, Chris, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Thanks, Jack. My name is uh, Chris Teague. I live in Maine, but I'm originally from Tennessee. I've been uh, living here for the last decade or so and reviewing cars for uh, about half that time. Uh, I write for Forbes, uh, The Drive, J.D. Power, several other outlets, as well as recording America on the Road with Jack. Uh, I try to incorporate a, a review of every vehicle with uh, young children in mind. So uh, how do car seats fit? How do they fit behind a, a large driver such as myself? And how do they work for a family? So very happy to be here and happy for everyone to be listening. I am equally happy to have everybody listening. And I, I do appreciate Chris. My name is Jack D. Red. I'm president of the Motor Press Guild, which is the largest organization of auto journalists in the country. And I'm also the vice president of the North American Car of the Year jury, because I've been doing this quite a while. As Chris said, he's based in Maine. I'm based in Southern California. This week, our special guest is Eric Loeffler. He is the chief engineer on the all-new 2021 Ford Bronco, and we'll discuss how Ford is going about competing with Jeep head-to-head. In the road test segment, Chris will take a long look at the 2022 Genesis G70, and I'll give my review of the 2022 Kia Carnival. We will also have a bunch of automotive news, and uh, we'll do that when we come back. So thanks so much for being with us right here on America on the Road. With Chris Teague, this is Jack Nerad with you, and we look forward to having you join us in the next segment. Welcome back, everybody, to America on the Road with Chris Teague, Jack Nerad back with you, and thanks so much for being with us. We really do appreciate you joining us on America on the Road. Interesting news we have this time around. Ford is teaming with an auto insurance provider, and uh, one has to wonder whether this is a good thing, a bad thing, or how we, how we should take a look at it. Uh, Ford is uh, using its connected vehicle data and connecting with a company called Octo that will... Um, use that information on its predictive insurance risk score, what it calls the Octo Drivability Score. And depending on how your, your point of view, how you're looking at it, this could be a really good thing. Help keep insurance costs down by forcing uh, bad drivers to pay more and identifying them quite clearly. Or it could be something where uh, Big Brother is staring over our shoulders. What's your take on this, Chris? I'm apprehensive of almost anything that tracks, well, especially vehicle data, you know, location data, where you are, how fast you're driving, how quickly you brake, and those sorts of things. So um, obviously you, you kind of give up some of your privacy there, especially if you're doing this voluntarily, like for an insurance company that has the, the plug-in device that you can use. But uh, I'm, I'm a little apprehensive about it. The integration promises to provide what they call a seamless experience for auto insurers and their policyholders. 
to give highly accurate pricing based upon driving data. And this is sourced directly from the vehicle. So the black box or the uh, telemetry in your vehicle is reported directly to Octo, and then it goes to your insurance carrier. And again, depending on how you look at this, this could be a, a, an absolute boon to you. Maybe you feel like your driving behaviors are going to get you big discounts. Or you can go, hmm, are they going to like the way I drive? Even though, uh, and I'm not talking about myself in particular, but uh, a person who drives maybe somewhat uh, aggressively, one might say, but uh, is never involved in any kind of uh, accident or problem, never getting tickets, all of that. Uh, I, I'm really curious as to how this would be used. And uh, like you, Chris, I'm, I'm a little leery about giving up my privacy on this. Yeah, you know, it's not clear yet whether you can opt in or opt out of this service. They're saying it's available on the majority of model year 2020 and newer Ford and Lincoln vehicles. So uh, it would be interesting to see, first of all, can you turn it off or can you opt out of it? And then also, can you see what exactly they're collecting on you? You know, I think in, in Europe, that would be a, a challenge for them to do that, but I don't know where they're going to roll it out first, so we'll have to see. Yeah, it would be interesting, too, uh, to know how you're being graded and what you're being graded on. I mean, if you are graded on, say, aggressive acceleration away from a stoplight or, uh, you know, more aggressive than they like braking, you know, some of us, and I'm not saying even I'm one of those people, I probably uh, drive uh, very mildly and uh, moderately most of the time, but... Uh, you know, I, I, on occasion, uh, we're testing cars and we, we want to accelerate. So uh, I'm just curious about how that's going to work out. Well, another story that we have to take a look at is the chip shortage. Uh, that is the microchip shortage that is driving up car prices. We alluded to that in the in the opener of the show. And there are signs now that um, this will continue on at least through the third quarter and maybe longer. Uh, signs out of Europe, for example, Volkswagen's top three brands have pointed to an ongoing shortage of automotive chips, and they're thinking it could intensify this, according to a report in uh, the European edition of Automotive News. It's, it's kind of frightening because it has really driven up prices very rapidly, and it has also prevented manufacturers from building a lot of vehicles that they would otherwise build. What's your take on what's going on with the chip shortage and, and how it might end? It's a really vast, vast issue to try to understand and to try to wrap your brain around going forward. But uh, I saw data earlier today that said that compared to two years ago, there are about a third as many new vehicles on dealers' lots. Uh, so, you know, limited choice, limited selection, higher prices, that's, all, that's never, almost never a good thing for the consumer. But some automakers have been able to kind of turn it around and, and work it in their favor. Uh, Mitsubishi, as part of their turnaround plan, was able to cut uh, incentives and also reduce their marketing budget and help their profitability. So, you know, for them, I guess it's it's not a, an awful thing, at least not across the board. But uh, for buyers, it's it's it, it's almost universally a bad thing. Yeah, if you have tightened up supply, it can't be good for consumers. And it sounds like we're going to have tightened supply of vehicles over the at least the semi-long term, uh, more than another couple of weeks, and certainly maybe more than several months, certainly into 2022. So we'll have to see how that unfolds. Uh, like you say, Chris, this can't be good for the consumer. Uh, we're going to see higher car prices. We're, we're rolling out of the uh, pandemic-caused recession, and the economies are opening up. But uh, this is putting a, a big damper on things uh, to have car prices go up the way they are and have uh, vehicle supply be what it is because it's driving up prices across the board. 
Yeah, and it's a shame because there are so many exciting vehicles coming to market or that have just recently come or, or are very soon to come. You know, the Ford Broncos hitting the streets, the, the Rivian uh, pickup truck is so scheduled to come out later this year, pushed back because of the chip shortage. And then Ford's got its F-150 Lightning. So uh, hopefully it doesn't impact those things too badly. But, uh, you know, I guess time will tell. Yeah, and it has also driven up the price of used vehicles. A lot of people were turning to used vehicles as an alternative when they couldn't buy the the new vehicle they wanted uh, and get it in the color and with the equipment level that they wanted. Uh, but that's become <laughs> a problem as well. I mean, it would be a great time to sell your vehicle if you had a, a used vehicle to sell. But uh, barring that, it's just not a, a good time for the consumer right now. And you know, we're coming up on the end of a model year and going into a new one, and the chip shortage uh, certainly is affecting the changeover, too, so that's a bit of an issue. Well, you spoke a bit about Rivian, and uh, Rivian has not yet come to market uh, with its uh, electric pickup truck, but uh, it is already starting to look for other production plants, I guess it is gung-ho, on uh, its uh, future success. It has embarked into talks with the uh, government in the UK on building a manufacturing plant outside the US near Bristol in England. And uh, we'll see if that happens. Certainly they uh, look for the government to uh, kick in, in this case, the UK government to kick in. And there is competition against the uh, United Kingdom's bid from Germany and the Netherlands uh, to get the Rivian factory. Uh, They haven't even sold a vehicle yet, and they're looking at multiple factories. Uh, I guess that's fairly optimistic. Uh, What do you think about that, Chris? Yeah, I'm actually really excited about Rivian. Uh, You know, there have been so many sort of flops in the EV startup space, Uh, Lordstown, Nikola. You could just keep going with companies that have promised a lot and not really gotten where they wanted to go. But Rivian is one of the best funded and frankly, one of the most exciting vehicles, like it just looks like a great looking truck and their, their SUV that will come later looks looks really neat too. So I'm excited. Hopefully they get it off the ground uh, smoothly with the chip shortage, but it looks like they're they're on the expansion move anyway. So good for them. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting too that they're looking at overseas because of course pickup trucks are, are, are typically an American phenomenon. They don't sell very many pickup trucks at all overseas. And that seems to be their sweet spot, at least right now. So uh, we'll see what happens on that. I guess uh, they plan to build other vehicles, certainly, than, uh, than the R1T pickup. And uh, we'll have to see how that goes. And they'd like to be positioned in the UK or somewhere in uh, Western Europe uh, to tap into that marketplace because that is a very big EV market. Yeah, do we know if they're building complete vehicles or plan to build complete vehicles there, if this will be just a component factory of some sort? It looks like it's going to be an assembly plant. That's what they're looking to do. And those are the kind of plants that typically governments get behind, uh, you know, plants that employ a, a whole lot of people. So we'll have to see how that unfolds. But uh, you know, that is coming up. Well, when we come back, we're going to be road testing a couple of vehicles. Chris, you are road testing what vehicle? I've got the 2022 Genesis G70. And I will be testing the Kia Carnival, their minivan. It might be the coolest minivan I've ever driven. So stay with us. We'll be road testing those vehicles when we come right back right here on America on the Road. Welcome back, everybody, to America on the Road with Christine Jackie Red. Back with you, and it is road test time here on America on the Road. We love this segment. We love talking to you about vehicles we have tested over the course of the last week or so. And 
Chris, you had a uh, very interesting vehicle from the Genesis luxury brand. Why don't you tell us about it? I did. It's the 2022 Genesis G70. It's a sedan. Uh, this is a 2022 model, so it's gotten a little bit of a refresh up, up front, the larger grille. It's got a smoother uh, rear end, a larger infotainment screen, and uh, the six-speed manual transmission was discontinued. But uh, for enthusiasts, that's not all bad news because the eight-speed that is remaining, the eight-speed automatic, uh, is very well paired with the engine. So uh, you can get this car with two different powertrains, one with a 2.0 uh, turbocharged 2.0 liter four-cylinder, or the one that I tested, which is the 3.3 turbo, a 3.3 T model. Uh, it's a twin turbocharged 3.3 liter V6. It's got 365 horsepower, 376 pound-feet of torque, and as I mentioned earlier, the eight-speed uh, automatic transmission. So my test model was a rear-wheel drive car. You can get it with all-wheel drive. I drove the all-wheel drive G70 last year, Jack. We talked about it on the podcast. Very nice car. I think the rear-wheel drive uh, builds in a little bit extra drama because there's uh, there's no front wheels spinning there. But I've had a great time with the car this past week. I think that Genesis has done a really good job building in just enough sort of raw edge to the car so that it feels sporty, it feels quick, and it is quick. It's about four and a half seconds from zero to 60. But there's just enough drama there to make you realize that you're driving a performance car while sitting inside of a cabin that has quilted leather, heated and cooled seats, a head-up display, and everything else. And this is, I think, the sweet spot for Genesis. They've done really well with this. Uh, we talked about it with the GV80 a few weeks ago. That's their SUV. Um, Jack, what do you think about Genesis? I think they're hitting a sweet spot this year. Absolutely. And I think they are piling on the value, right? I mean, they're kind of buying their way into the segment, into the luxury segment, by adding value to the vehicles. And uh, you're certainly seeing it in the G70. I think you're seeing it uh, across the, the board in Genesis vehicles. And I think it's a way that they have to play to... Uh, make some inroads into what is a very difficult segment of the marketplace. I mean, you have brands that have been established for well over 100 years, some close to 150 years, as an upstart brand where prestige means a lot. You really have to pile on the added value, and I, I think they're really doing that. I think you talk about some of the things that they do that just aren't the norm, and it's interesting to me that the how successful the G70 is. There is a Kia vehicle that's in some ways very similar to it that's not nearly as successful. So um, it's interesting what they're, they've been able to do. Yeah, and some of that may be brand perception. You know, people might be willing to spend $50,000 on a Genesis, but $50,000 on a Kia might be a little bit of a, a steep ask, although that car, the Kia Stinger, is very nice. Um, in any case, you mentioned value, and this car has it. So it's just under $52,000. This is the almost top of the line sport prestige, prestige trim. Uh, you can step up to a launch edition model for a few thousand dollars more and get some exclusive features and colors and things. But I think this is the really the best trim of the car because it gets the more powerful powertrain, more powerful engine. Uh, it's got all the luxury features you could almost ever want in a car. And as I mentioned before, the price is just a tick over, uh, just tick under $52,000. But um, inside the front seats, they're bucket, they're very sporty seats. Uh, but they're deep. You know, we talk about how tall I am quite frequently, Jack, on the podcast at six feet tall. Uh, I'm able to get a really nice, deep seating position in this car. I can get the seat almost all the way to the floor and, and get really nestled into the cabin. So you, you have a lot of support. The armrests are very comfortable. They're they're high up on the door and also on the center console. My wife, who is just over five feet tall in the passenger seat, frequently complains about uh, armrests that are too low or too high for her, especially given how tall she is. Uh, she had no issues here. And in the back seat, two kids, uh, we're now at booster seats. We just graduated my five-year-old, almost five-year-old daughter into a booster seat. Uh, plenty of room for two kids. I would say that two adults would probably find a little bit of a cramped space back there. 
but there's enough room that you can make it serviceable. Uh, as I mentioned, the quilted leather seats on both rows. This car has heated and ventilated front seats, the heated steering wheel, 10.3-inch uh, infotainment screen that runs Apple CarPlay and Android Auto, uh, and an upgraded Infinity, I believe it's Infinity Stereo. Uh, just all around a really nice tech-forward package. And as I said with the GV80 a few weeks ago, that uh, these cars are gorgeous. So the G70, uh, you know, that the GV80 was one of the first cars that actually had people stop and take pictures of the car while it was parked in my driveway. And the G70 is the same way. And of course, some of that is coming from the fact that I drive around in Sport Plus mode all the time. So the exhaust is open. But the car is really a looker, uh, even if it is making a little bit of a rowdy sound while you're driving around. Uh, but that's part of the drama that I mentioned earlier, and it does add a little bit of character to the car so it's not so zipped up. It doesn't feel so sterile, and it makes it, like I said, more interesting. But all around, I really enjoyed my time with the car. I think it's a great value. Um, save for the little bit of a small back seat, I think there's very few things that hold this back from competing uh, very competently with a Mercedes-Benz C-Class, a BMW 3 Series, and so on. Um, and so Genesis knocked it out of the park, I think. I think they have knocked it out of the park in terms of the hardware, and there's not much they can do about heritage because they can't build in 100 years of heritage that they just don't have. And I think, unfortunately for them, that is a telling feature for a lot of people who are buying luxury cars. But uh, in terms of the hardware and what the G70 offers, uh, it's right there. It's a really, really good car. And here's a car I'm excited about, and, I, and frankly, I was excited or, and, and shocked that I was excited about this vehicle because it's a minivan. Who gets excited about a minivan, number one? Well, maybe Chris Teague does, but and he's six I do, feet yes. tall. Yeah, he's six feet tall, so you can see why. Uh, but uh, not me so much, but this one really kind of got me. It's the 2022 Kia Carnival, and, you know, it kind of got me right away when I took a look at this thing. It's actually a, a very purposeful, interesting design, not like any other minivan out there, and I think it embraces the box. It is a, a bit of a shoebox, and rather than trying to hide that with uh, swoops and whirls in the sheet metal, they kind of just went, okay, this is going to be a box, and we're going to maximize the box. It was designed in Kia's California Design Studio, which is about I think about 40 miles from my house here in Southern California. And they design things like the Telluride. So it makes sense that uh, maybe uh, many of us would like the, the Carnival's design. And then they uh, have equipped it right as well. I, you know, I uh, would like to jump in to talk a bit about the interior because it's the second thing that really gets your attention. Once you see the, the cool outside, and I'm really, I really mean it, it has a cool outside for a minivan, that's for sure. Then you go inside and you go, wow, <laughs> you know, this looks like a, a limousine in here. There are reclining second row seats, uh, a lot like air, airplane seats. I mean, first class airplane seats, not the kind of seats that I ride in, uh, <laughs> you know, jammed in with uh, five other people across the, uh, the airplane there uh, and rubbing elbows very uh, definitely, uh, quite literally with the, the people next to me. Uh, just a roomy, great interior. It is probably the best in class in terms of interior room and in terms of cargo room. And then it has good uh, advanced driver assistance features, just uh, a ton of uh, available stuff and a uh, good amount of power. Uh, it's not just a, a pretty face, yes, and I believe it really does have a pretty face, but uh, it has a 3.5 liter V6, 290 horsepower, 
reasonable amounts of towing capacity, at least for a minivan, of course, 3,500 pounds of towing capability. So this is a vehicle that shocked me. It shocked me that I liked it so much, and I think it uh, would shock others. What's your take on the Kia Carnival, Chris? I think it is a little bit shocking in a good way. You know, I think it's one of those vehicles, if you looked at it at a glance, you would think, oh, it's, a, it's an SUV. It looks, it's got that strong, muscular look. I love that Kia leaned into the box, as you said, uh, and didn't try to make it frilly and family-friendly. It really does look muscular. So if you hate minivans, this might be the minivan for you. Uh, the price is right. It starts in a low $30,000 mark. And as you said, the interior uh, looks absolutely gorgeous. Uh, and even for me, as a, a van nerd, as you frequently make fun of me for, but uh, even as a minivan nerd, it looks great. Yeah, just a lot to like about it. There's seating for up to eight passengers. I think maybe seven will find it a, a little better. And I think when you get into the up-level seven-passenger configuration with these heated and ventilated second-row lounge seats, it'll make you want to be in the second row. I Like, who wants to be in the second or third row of a vehicle? But uh, maybe the second row seats in the Carnival are even better than the front row seats, uh, certainly uh, at least as good. There's a ton of, of things to like about uh, this vehicle. It has standard hands-free opening power sliding doors. We've seen that a lot. And it has smart key that uh, enables that to happen. It has a power lift gate, smart key with one button open and close. And then it this is a, a particularly family-friendly thing, the rear occupant alert. It uses ultrasonic sensors to detect if you have a child or pet in the second or third row after the doors have been locked. So this is to prevent people from leaving their kids and pets uh, in the vehicle to, with tragic results, uh, un, uh, unfortunately, sometimes. So uh, a lot to like about it from the safety point of view. Uh, it also has safe exit warning. It alerts you if bad stuff is about to happen if you open the door and exit into traffic. You certainly don't want to do that. It has a passenger talk cabin intercom system, and it also has a rear view camera to view the passengers. <laughs> and it zooms, it has night vision. So you can eyeball the children in the back seat. I think that's something probably you would do all the time. You probably wouldn't spend any time looking out the windshield, Chris. You would be uh, checking out the kids in the back seat, wouldn't you? <laughs> My kids are actually uh, pretty well behaved, but I have friends who I think would benefit from a cabin camera and also a microphone system greatly. Yeah, absolutely. And I wasn't at all implying that your kids were misbehaving. <laughs> I just thought, you know, you love your kids as I love mine. Yours are much younger than mine, so mine kind of take care of themselves. But yours probably still need some eyeballing. Good in terms of just the general stuff, wireless smartphone charging and up to nine USB ports for all three rows, 210 volt power inverters, outlets, so you can plug in regular stuff. And then you can get a Bose premium sound system. So just a ton of things available in the Kia Carnival. Uh, it kind of jumps to the top of my list among cool minivans. Maybe it's a list of one. <laughs> but, uh, you know, certainly the Carnival went uh, a lot farther and dug deeper into this category than they, I ever thought they would. I always thought that the Kia minivans were also rans before, but with the Carnival, I, I think, really think they've hit a home run. I agree. You know, I think that minivans are love them or hate them, and I think they did enough to make more people love them than before, so good on Kia. Absolutely good on Kia, and when we come back, we're going to be talking about one of the most exciting vehicles on the market today, and that is the uh, Ford Bronco, 
We're going to be chatting with Eric Luffler. He is the chief engineer on the Ford Bronco. So stay with us for that. With Chris Teague, this is Jack Nerad with you, and we're so glad you're with us right here on America on the Road. Welcome back, everybody, to America on the Road. Jack Nerad back with you, and we have a special guest with us. His name is Eric Leffler. He is chief, prog- chief program engineer on the Ford Bronco. What an exciting product. What a, what a cool thing to do. Give us, uh, our listeners, a little background on you because you have some background to do this, don't you? Yes, I've uh, been with Ford Motor Company, Company for 33 years, right, in product development. And I've uh, been a chief program engineer developing SUVs for about 21 years. Uh, those range from everything from a navigator down to an EcoSport. So when the company gave me this opportunity to go back into a space that we haven't played in for quite a few years and go after the, the, the one product that seems to dominate it, uh, I just jumped at the chance and it's been just an absolute uh, best, best time of my career. That's so cool. Uh, wh- how do you approach something like this? I mean, Jeep has had this market for a long, long time. Uh, you had a strong player in it, and then for one reason or another, and I'm not even quite sure why, Ford got out of the game after a while. Now the opportunity is maybe bigger than ever. Tell us what the kind of overarching thinking is about the engineering of this vehicle. Well, first of all, you have to go off and understand the segment and you know, basically what the customers of in that segment really are looking for in the product. Right. And given there have been some other entrants in this this field in the last 10, 15 years, some of them not so successful, they gave us, uh, you know, things to look at of what didn't work in their case. And then, you know, what's working for the current competition, where are they lacking? So it starts out by uh, really understanding what the segment's all about, what the customers are looking for and what they're not getting currently. It's interesting, too, because, you know, in, in talking to people from Ford about this, I know you're expecting a lot of customers who aren't necessarily off-roaders, who, who don't really have much in the way of off-road experience. So I, I don't know how you target exactly what you do for them, except, I guess, make it easy for them. Talk a bit about that, would you? That's exactly it. I mean, we're a long way from the days where you had to get out and turn the hubs. And, you know, basically when you wanted to change the transfer case, you had to have real strong arms to get that thing in position. Now everything is, is very simple. A lot of it is automated when you want it to be, but mechanical when you don't, or at least manual in terms of selection. And it just makes everything much easier for for the customer that uh, is new to the sport. Take us through the engineering of this. You did a very nice presentation here uh, about that, maybe walking our listeners through a a lot of what you told us as journalists would, would be helpful to them. Okay, so it, it all starts with where the uh, platform is, and uh, we started with the mid-sized truck platform that we use within Ford, the Ranger sits on it, and we've updated that, so this will be the next generation of that, and we've basically customized it for Bronco. So by that, we've basically redone the suspension, and we uh, have a suspension system we call Haas, kind of like that big guy on Ponderosa. So he's willing to take on the You and I remember, maybe all our listeners don't, but yes. <laughs> So anyways, this high-speed high off-road stability suspension, or Haas, is really designed using the coilover uh, shocks in the rear, but an independent front suspension. And nowadays, we have the technology to basically design through computer assistance all of the hard points and the you know, articulation points of that suspension. We have the materials capability uh, that are lightweight and strong and very small in size compared to the past. Uh, with the manufacturing capability we have of those components, we can now get everything we need to out of an independent front suspension to allow it to be a suspension that can crawl rocks like a solid axle. 
it basically can run high speeds on the whoops in the desert out in, in Mojave and basically uh, really give a very confirmed, uh, sturdy uh, feel to the vehicle while you're having good steering precision. And then on road, it behaves just as you would expect it to do with a very comfortable ride and, and precision steering. Yeah, because a, a typical car, a typical SUV is gonna have an independent front suspension. So you, you're gonna feel about that way. And uh, you know, what you're bringing up, well, a, a couple things. Let, let's, let's talk a bit about suspension first, because I think in an off-road vehicle, and uh, disagree with me, you're the, you're the expert, but I think the suspension, the frame and suspension is the most important thing about the vehicle, more so than the powertrain, more so than anything else. Uh, so am I right or wrong? Well, it, you're, you're right. It has to start with that foundation because you need to have that solid base to build on. But that's kind of like the toolbox in which you're going to put okay. all the tools. And uh, the thing we've done here with Bronco is, is we've got plenty of tools in our toolbox and we are able to leverage those tools for whatever road surface that you're going to work on. Call that a project. You basically choose the tools that you need to finish that project, whether it's slippery ice or whether it's rock crawling or whether it's a sport mode on road. And so we leverage those tools at the right proportions to make them the most engaging experience for, for the customer. Let's get in the nitty gritty of that. And, and, and maybe we can base it on some stuff that I did this morning because I was in the off-road rodeo and, and did all that, that driving and saw all these incredible capabilities and, and learned so much as I was doing it. You have various modes. Tell me about, tell our listeners about mud and rut, what, what that involves, what that entails in terms of changing things or, or the settings that it involves sure we have modes and mud and rut is one of what we call the goat modes which are goes over any terrain or all terrain and in uh, the goat modes mud and rut is one of seven that are available and this is for the conditions where you're in a situation where the, the soil is a bit soft and rutted so it may be a trail that has had you know rain in the last 24 48 hours which you had on this we drive did, yes indeed and so basically that's why you were in that mode what it then does is it takes each one of the tools in the toolbox and decides what speed it's going to operate it on. So just like your drill might be on a slow speed for this, the saw may be on high speed for that. In this case, your transfer case may be in four high, while your diff lockers front and rear may have the front on, the rear off, or vice versa. And then basically you would have the tip-in control for your throttle at a certain level of, of uh, modulation. Your steering gear is E-Pass, so we even have the ability to control the steering wheel. So how uh, the steering is affected. By that you mean it's ele electric power steering. Correct. So, so basically it, it then uh, changes how the steering works. So it all puts all of these pieces of the puzzle together to give you the optimum performance in a mud and rut situation, providing you that confidence and capable feel to get through the, the trail uh, without a lot of worry or effort. So those settings would differ obviously from Baja, from Slippery, from the others, right? Exactly. So based on uh, the, you know, the road terrain, it, we have customized which piece of the puzzle we put together here and what level of performance those tools are activated. And what that does is the very capable driver has even more capability with less effort. And then the novice driver, who's a bit timid about trying this for the first time, walks into an environment where they feel very confident in control of the vehicle and they want to come out a second time. Right, right. And then you have, I would say, 
a way you can kind of spice up these modes or you know alter the modes as you're in the mode by going to uh, employing front locker, taking front locker off, employing rear locker, taking rear locking differential off. Those kinds of things are also available to you, aren't they? Exactly correct. And so that gives you the ability to put yourself in the mode that does all the self-selection, but you can customize it there and still operate in a manual mode to override the settings by individual adjustments that we have, have knobs and controls and buttons to, to allow you to do. So, for instance, when I'm doing some rock climbing and I'm facing a, a essentially a sheer cliff, I might want, maybe I do, you tell me, I want uh, the front locker on will help me crawl up that a little better than if I did not have the locking diff in the front. Absolutely. You'd have the front and rear locker on to give you all of the attractive forces that you can need. If you had our manual transmission, which is a, a, a seven-speed manual transmission, you'd have it in the crawler gear, which is something that's unique to Bronco. We have a a crawler gear that is basically has a final drive ratio of 94.75 to one. Wow. So that really gives you a lot of torque to get up that wall you're trying to get up. Yeah, and, and it certainly does that. Let's talk about uh, engines, because a variety of engines available, interesting stuff. Ford has very interesting power plants these days. Yeah, so we offer two uh, race-proven EcoBoost engines, right? It starts at a 2.3 liter which is uh, 300 horsepower and 325 pound-feet of torque, which is plenty to pull the Bronco around and do a really good job both on and off. But for those that want a little more, we have a V6 2.7 liter EcoBoost, also race-proven, and also it's uh, in the class, uh, class liter for horsepower and torque. It boasts basically 330 horsepower and 415 pound-feet of torque. Bronco has a great history. Ford Motor Company has a great history of you know, fast running over desert terrain, right? I mean, high speed kind of stuff, Baja kind of stuff. Talk a bit about that. Yep. So one of the things that uh, that our, our Bronco loves to do is is run out in the in the in the country and in the wild, right? So when you get out in the desert and you have these wide open spaces to just air it out, basically we have the horsepower and the torque to do that at higher R speed, uh, higher RPM, and leading to higher speeds which then uh, you need to have that suspension we talked about, the Haas system, to allow you to manipulate and manage the terrain uh, so that uh, the vehicle is very comfortable and stable to drive at those speeds. Right, because a lot of times you're going to have irregular surfaces, right? You're going to get airborne sometimes. You're going to have a lot of suspension movement, I would think. In, right, in so the, the winds of the desert tend to put uh, different uh, features in the surface of the desert, right? So you tend to get what we would call the whoops, and basically those are the undulations or the kind of not always sinusoidal waves, but they're, they're waves in the ground. And that's what sometimes gets a, a lot of the suspensions uh, in an awkward situation at speeds where they're very uncomfortable and unstable to drive. So we have uh, the technology to be able to absorb all of that kind of undulation that isn't always sinusoidal. It may vary quite a bit from one, uh, one uh, length to the next and uh, have the ability to have just a whole bunch of fun while doing it. Mm -hmm. How about snow and ice? I mean, it's something that uh, I think a lot of people will encounter, and I think a lot of people buy four-wheel drive and all-wheel drive vehicles for that kind of situation. Tell us a bit about that, would you? Yeah, so the, the tire selection that we have available includes mud tires and all-season or all-terrain tires. Uh, so basically, the customer does have a choice for how they want to outfit their vehicle by series. Uh, all of them are very capable in snow and ice, but when you combine certain tire choices with the tractive capability we have in the modes, which would be slippery mode, you have uh, the ability to take, again, the right tools out of the toolbox 
to be able to have a, a really engaging, confident drive through a very slippery, snowy environment. What are some of the things we haven't talked about that you think uh, potential buyers should know about, that you're proud of, those kind of things? So, so Bronco, we really understand that this, uh, this, this group of customers want the vehicle to be their own. So we've paid close attention to the ability to customize the vehicle. So we have a lot, a lot of modularity included in the vehicle design, such as the ability to take fenders off, doors off, rear quarters off, grills pop out easy, right? We have various bumpers, for example. Various bumpers, and the bumpers we have, the modular front bumper is just that. It's modular. You can disassemble pieces of it for more clearance off-roading. You can add accessories to it. You can put safari bars on it. You can add winches to it. And all of that just uh, makes easy customization. On top of that, around the vehicle, we have these bolts that are Bronco headed, meaning that they say Bronco on them. And anywhere you see one of those, we have a, a bunch of accessories available that you can attach in those locations to provide you additional utility in the, in the product for whatever your use or, or hobby is. Uh, at the launch here, we have 200 accessories available through, uh, through the dealerships and, and uh, through Ford licensed accessories. So right out the door, you can equip the vehicle and customize it to do whatever type of outdoor activity you'd like. Let's talk a bit about the winch a little more because I, I found that fascinating when you were talking about that yesterday, how he, you've engineered a particular use of an aftermarket winch that uh, facilitates crashworthiness. Talk about that. Yeah, so as I say, this customer in this, this, this type of vehicle likes to customize it. And one of the things for off-roading that comes in handy is the ability to have a winch on the front of the vehicle. Yet a winch is a pretty substantial piece of equipment. It's pretty heavy. It's a you know, pretty substantial mass on the front of the vehicle. So when you're on road and you're driving around with this winch on, what impact would that have on your crashworthiness of the vehicle? Well, it depends on the winch and how it was designed and installed and who knows. So in this case, through uh, partnering with Warren Winch, we've uh, made an accessory available through your Ford dealership that the dealer will install it, a winch kit that includes a crash software set that is reinstalled or reflashed on the vehicle that basically allows that winch to be considered in how we make decisions on the safety systems in the vehicle. So we've actually crash tested vehicles after we designed them and managed the load path of energy when the vehicle gets hit in the front with a winch on it so that airbags deploy at just the right time to make the vehicle safe. Very cool. What do you think are some of the competitive advantages of Bronco versus Wrangler as we sum up here? Well, I think it's the fact that we we've, we've have all of this very capable equipment and we're able to pull it all together in a way that is very uniquely Bronco so that we can make it engaging and capable for a very veteran driver. And yet it's something that is as confident and really builds the, uh, the enthusiasm of somebody that's a bit nervous to enter the sport and a bit nervous to take on the trails that we are more than capable of handling. Very, very cool. Eric Leffner, thanks so much for being with us. We do appreciate it. Okay, thank you. And stay with us, everybody. We'll be right back right here on America on the Road. And that was our interview with Eric Leffler of Ford, talking about the Ford Bronco. Exciting vehicle. We really appreciate him spending some time with us. And it is now listener question time right here on America on the Road. So uh, we have a listener question. Here's a listener question for you, Chris. This is from Pete in Nashville, Tennessee, and I know you're a Tennessean, so you probably have something in common with Pete. Well, at least that. 
Uh, here's the question. Should I buy a car now or wait until the Labor Day sales? We're coming up on Labor Day. What's your take, Chris? Uh, you give me the hardest questions, Jack. I think that this one is, is a very tough one to nail down right now because uh, we don't know what sort of Labor Day sales there will be. Uh, we also don't know which models they will be on or if there will be uh, vehicles available in the in the style or the, the color and the configuration that you want. So I would say this, if you really need to buy a car and you can wait till Labor Day and see what comes about, absolutely wait. Uh, if you need a car today, you're probably not going to miss out on a whole lot, but I'm not a a great prognosticator. I've been wrong many times on that in the past, but I think that this year is going to be a little bit different and maybe that way for a while. So uh, I think if you need a car, go ahead and get one, or if you can wait a little bit, wait. And if you can wait until next year, even better, because there'll probably be more supply. I think waiting a longer time, if you can do that, and a lot of people cannot do that, is a hot tip. I think in terms of waiting till Labor Day, I think you identify something uh, right away here, and that is with the shortage of cars, I don't think we're going to see really incredible deals being offered around Labor Day. I just don't see that happening. I think it would happen in a normal year. It's not going to happen in 2021. And so I would say if you need a car and you're looking at a car and it seems to be a fairly good deal right now, I'd say pull the trigger, dive right in. And that is our show for this week. Join us again next time for another edition of America on the Road. America on the Road is brought to you by Mercury Insurance and DrivingToday.com. If you're looking to save some money, you should switch to Mercury for your auto and home insurance. Californians save an average of $670 with Mercury, so imagine how much you could save. Get a quote today at MercuryInsurance.com. And if you're looking to buy a new or used car, go to Driving Today. It's the official website of America on the Road.